Hear the word of God from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. These readings come from the New Revised Standard Version. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes comes in also, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my, pe- my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? Do you, you do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Well, it's great to be with you all. I know that it's been uh, several months since I've been here in the Magnolia service, and so there's a lot of folks in the room who are maybe visitors or uh, regular attenders of this service that I've not had a chance to connect with. So uh, my name is McGray Vega. I'm the senior pastor here at the church. Normally, I'm across the way in the sanctuary for the traditional service, but I always enjoy every chance I get to be here with you. Uh, and if I don't know you personally, if we've not met, I'd love to spend time to uh, say hi to you after the service. Let's have a prayer together. Oh God, open our eyes and see through them. Open our mouths and speak through them. Open our hearts and set them on fire. Our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've ever read the Bible before or tried to, you know that one of the obstacles we often have is that the Bible seems to be so full of weird language, flowery, churchy, archaic language, such that whenever we come across a passage of Scripture, let alone an entire book, that is written with clear, plain language, we pay attention. And that is the book of James. Here we are in week two of our five-week series through this amazing, powerful, and very plain-spoken book. 
And we come to realize that it's not the words that are hard to understand in the Bible that give us trouble. It's the words that are easy to understand, but hard to apply that makes it so hard. And I don't think there's a better example of it than the passage that Matthew just read for you in James chapter 2, where he very clearly, very plainly, very powerfully says to us, don't treat people differently based on their outward appearance. That, by the way, is the first two blanks of your insert in case you're you're keeping track. Here we are just a minute into the sermon, and you're already filling in your insert. And you're probably thinking to yourself, great, we're on track for a five-minute sermon. This is perfect. (laughs) Sorry. We favor people based on outward appearance. In fact, the first four verses that Matthew read for you are a vivid, clear example of what he's talking about. If you see someone in the crowd who was dressed in fine clothes and fancy jewelry, you will treat them differently, James says, than if you see someone who's dressed in a much different way. Four years ago in Austin, Texas, a filmmaker named Joseph Castillo decided to conduct a bit of a social experiment. He befriended a homeless gentleman named Sandy who agreed to be filmed for this particular project. Joseph wanted to know, would Sandy be treated any differently based on his outward appearance? It was a two-part project. Part one, Joseph took Sandy in to a high-end salon and did a complete makeover of him. Gave him a brand new, beautiful haircut and a fresh shave. And then took him to a fancy clothing store. Gave him a beautiful new outfit, fresh-looking sports coat and a collared shirt, tailored-looking pants and a nice pair of dress shoes. Gave him a cell phone to hold in one hand, put a, a fancy watch on the other. And then he told Sandy, all right, now go, go downtown to one of the shopping centers and stand outside on the street in front of a Brooks Brothers store. Make sure you display your cell phone and your fancy watch. And with the camera on him, uh, Sandy stood outside that fancy men's clothing store. And as people walked by, he simply said these words. He said, oh, excuse me. Um, I'm afraid I'm just 50 cents short for a cup of coffee. Do you have any spare change? To Sandy's astonishment, people not only gave him money, but as the YouTube video shows that chronicles this little experiment, lots of people gave Sandy even more money than he was asking for. In a very short amount of time, without even breaking a sweat, Sandy had pocketed close to 10 bucks. In fact, the kicker of all this is that even a person who appeared to be homeless themselves stopped by and was fishing into their pocket (laughs) with very little on them, but he was desperate to give Sandy something, whatever he had. That's part one. Part two, Sandy took off all of those fancy clothes and those fine airs, mussed up his hair a little bit, 
exchanged his sport coat for a ratty-looking T-shirt, put on a pair of scuffed-up jeans with holes in them, went back to the very same spot outside that Brooks Brothers and asked the very same question to whoever would be walking by. And it should be no surprise to you. After a long time of standing there and asking people, not a single person gave him even a dime. It is unlikely that when James wrote this second chapter of his letter that he had done a little YouTube experiment beforehand. But it is very likely that he had done a lot of social observation. He had come to recognize a very clear part of the human condition. Something that is true for many if not most, if not all of us, we, we favor people based on their outward appearance. And James says that's not right. And he's not the only one to tell us that in the Bible. We've heard this before. We know this deep down in ourselves. Back in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, when David is being anointed king, God takes this scrawny little shepherd boy out in the fields with his sheep and anoints him king. And Samuel says to his family, humans may look at the outside, but God looks at the heart. There's your second blank. God looks at the heart. It's all throughout the Bible, this principle. It's also in our cultural vocabulary. Martin Luther King once famously elevated our national consciousness, calling us to judge people not based on the color of our skin, but on the content of our character. God looks at the heart, so should we. It's even in one of our more famous phrases. Don't judge a book by its cover, right? You all have heard that before. You've probably said it before. But did you know the fuller version, the original version of that quote was in 1867. First appeared in a newspaper called The Democrat in Piqua, Ohio, where someone wrote these words, don't judge a book by its cover or see a man by his cloth, as there is often a good deal of solid worth and superior skill underneath. That's rich. That's good stuff. We've heard this before, but it doesn't make it any easier, does it? We get the basic message that James is trying to communicate here. God does not want us to cast judgments on people based on their appearance or in the value judgments that society places on them. And like the rest of the book of James, we might say, easier said than done. So we come to this text just asking a pretty basic question of James. How? Come on, James, how are we supposed to do this? Well, if you take a look at that first verse in James chapter 2, we discover a very interesting word, a fascinating, rare word in the New Testament. This is what he says. Verse 1, my brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. That word favoritism kind of caught my attention this past week. That's not a word you often 
here in the Greek language or in the New Testament. Seems like a very modern contemporary word. And I wondered if it was maybe just the particular translation I was reading. But lo and behold, you look at most English translations there in James 2 verse 1, it is translated as favoritism. A little biblical scholar in me kicked in and I wondered to myself, I wonder what the original word there is for favoritism. I'm kind of giving you a guided tour of my mind. I'm sorry about that, but that's the way my mind works when I read a weird word in the Bible. As it turns out, that Greek word for favoritism is a rare word. It only occurs four other times in the whole New Testament. The, the fancy way to say the Greek word is prosolim, prosopolempsia. Try that. Prosopolempsia. You don't need to know what that word is, except the root word for that Greek the root for that word favoritism is face. Face. Its meaning is derived from an ancient Near Eastern practice, a ritual greeting between two people. Because you see, in the Greco-Roman world, when two people saw each other in private or in public, there was this understanding that when they walked up to each other, at least one of them would bow their face to the other. Now, in those instances, when there was a clear power differential between those two people, a clear culturally ascribed power differential between those two people, then inevitably one person would bow their face to the other while the more powerful person would stand tall. You can imagine the cases in which this would happen, right? A master and a slave. A Roman official and a peasant. A, 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 an adult and a child. A rich person and a poor person. One who stood tall and the other one who lowered their face. Now, when James uses this word in James 2.1, he is disrupting the entire cultural system. He's upending the entire power differential that's assumed in moments like this, based on outward appearance alone. He's saying that rather than expect other people to bow before you, this is a word that suggests that you lift their face before you to lift them up, to be able to see them for who they really are, eye to eye, person to person, face to face, kin to kin, as a fellow child of God. That's what that Greek word means. So that you can see in their eyes the very image of the very same Jesus that resides in you. One of the more powerful stories that I've ever heard from a colleague came from Justin LaRosa. You know, Justin, he normally preaches in here. He's our minister of the downtown campus. He's enjoying a wonderful Labor Day weekend with his family. He shared with me once uh, an experience he had with a homeless man, and he gave me permission to share this story today. It's actually an excerpt from a book that he's writing that's, that's coming out. This is what he writes. I usually don't give out money to people on the road unless I feel prompted by the Spirit. One afternoon, I was driving on a toll road heading home, and I was taking my, my normal route. 
As I was driving, I had a strong sense that I needed to pull off on the next exit, which was not my normal route. Surprisingly, I actually heeded the prompting. As I pulled off the exit, I noticed a man standing at the intersection with a sign. The light was red, and that was the only car that had stopped. From his appearance, he looked like life had beaten him down. I sometimes have food or water in my car, but on this day I had none. No cash, no change, nothing to give. I felt a bit of angst because I thought that the prompting to pull off at this exit might have meant that I was supposed to give this man something, something tangible. I rolled down the window and I said, uh, Hey, my name is Justin. I'm so sorry. I don't have anything to give you, but I, I thought I'd ask your name and, and see if there's anything specific, any ways that I can pray for you. He said his name. I said hello. He slowly then walked toward my window and he bent down, lowered his face so that he could better see me in the car. He had bright, penetrating eyes, the kind of eyes that pierce your soul. He looked intently at me and responded, you gave me a better gift than money or food. Thank you for saying my name, Justin. Thank you. As I pulled away, I wept. I wept because I recognized for the first time in a long time the risen Christ. He was hidden in plain sight. Sometimes people just need to hear their name or to be seen. That's what's at stake for James. When he is writing something that we already know but too easily forget. And he is using the plainest, simplest language possible to remind us that even though it is hard, it is necessary to treat people not based on their outward appearance, but as fellow children of God. So how? How do we do that? There are three sets of blanks in your insert. We're going to fill them in here. The first is to lift the face of others. That's in verse 1, lift the face of others. I wonder, here's what I wonder, if this week you will have an opportunity to give someone a gift that they have, they have needed for a long time, a reminder of their own dignity, a reclaiming of their own self-worth, someone who might be down and demoralized, someone who might even be dehumanized by the culture around them or people that know them, you might have a chance to lift their face today. Number two, this is, this is a lot like the first one, and we learned this from Justin's story, find Jesus in others. Find Jesus in the face of others comes from verse 5. James says, Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith 
and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him, God is on the side of those whom others have rejected. And if you look into the face of those that others have judged, you will see the very same image of that very same Jesus who lives in you, which leads to the third and final practical way from the book of James, verse 8, straight from the text. Love others as yourself. As yourself. That's part of the great commandment of Jesus. Of course, he's the one who first said it. But what do you suppose that means, to, to love others as yourself? The first two words we get, loving others, what do we do with as yourself? Lots of different ways to understand that. I particularly like an understanding that comes, again, from the Greek word for as. One of the ways that word can be translated is to change as to the phrase, as if it were. As if it were. And, and if you do that, look at the impact that that simple change makes in your understanding of that passage, to love others as if it were yourself. It means that when you see someone who on the outside appears different from you, you actually recognize that you are connected to that person in deep, profound ways. You are interconnected. You are interdependent. And you coexist with that person. And what that means is that their sense of dignity is intricately tied to yours. And that their sense of self-worth is inextricably tied to yours. And that their well-being is connected to yours. Bishop Gregory Palmer spoke to a gathering of us in Lakeland last June at our annual conference. He's the Bishop of West Ohio. And of his many, many powerful quotes, the one that I remember and think of all the time, is the one that's in your insert. If my sense of self-worth comes at the expense of your sense of self-worth, then I'm doing it wrong. I love that. Again, clear, plain spoken, but hard, hard to apply. To love someone as if it were yourself means to love them not expecting anything in return, not like it's some kind of understood transactional exchange where if I love you, you will love me back, but because by loving them, you increase their capacity to love and thereby increase your capacity to love. And therefore, every time you love someone else, you both increase possibilities of loving other people beyond ways that you possibly could have understood. Loving someone else as if it were yourself advances the gift of love in a world that knows very little of it today. As Albert Hubbard said, love grows by giving. The love we give away is the only love we keep, and so the only way to retain love is to give it away. So there's really just one more question here. What will you do with this challenge from James? Who is it that you're going to love as if it were yourself? In what ways are you going to break through your own natural penchant for favoritism based on outward appearance or cultural expectation? The last blank to fill in on the insert is one for you to fill for yourself. I don't have the answer to that one for you. How will I see Jesus in the face 
of someone else this week. I invite you to take time during the offertory as the plates are passing by to really prayerfully think about how you will fill that blank in and take this insert with you and prayerfully apply it to your life. This passage ends with a summary phrase. I think it's one of the most powerful phrases in the whole book of James. Just four words, that's all it is. It's the title of the sermon today. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So may you share that mercy with others. May you see humanity in the face of someone. May you do whatever it takes to keep your own prejudice and judgmental tendencies in check. And may you do so in a way that you can love someone else and thereby increase your ability to love. Mercy triumphs over judgment. May you love others as if they were there, as if they were your own self. Let's pray together. So God, thank you for these powerful words that are easy to understand but really hard to apply. We dare to imagine that everyone who has heard these words today, either here in person or worshiping from a distance, is convicted by these words. Help us remember that it is only by your grace that we can live life as you intend it. In this room, there are many, many people who are working on this. Give us the strength to love people, even the ones that are hard to love. Help us to keep our judgment in check. Help us to find Jesus in others. Help us to lift the face of people whose countenance is down so that we can find in you and in each other a capacity to love that we never dreamt we could have. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let all God's people say, Amen. Amen.